Welcome to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. I'm Michonne Boston. And I'm Tequina Boston. We're your hosts and real-life sisters who binge on historical drama. We'll talk about films, fictional adaptations, and dramatic series as windows to the past and mirrors of the present. So fill your teacup or mug with your favorite sip as we explore what's fact, what's fiction, and the so what on historical drama with the Boston Sisters. I'm Michonne Boston. And I'm Tequina Boston. Welcome to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters, where we talk about historical films and dramatic series as windows to the past and mirrors of the present. Listen to past episodes and sign up for our newsletter on our webpage at michonnebostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters to stay up to date on new episodes and bonus content. This is a special episode of Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters, where we focus on a historical drama by request from one of our podcast listeners. Joanne Fort is an attorney living in Atlanta who asked Michonne and me to devote an episode to the 2014 film Bell, the story of Elizabeth Dido Bell, directed by Ama Asante, with script by Masan Segei. Bell is inspired by the true story of Dido Elizabeth Bell, played by Gugu Mbata Raw. Dido is the mixed-race daughter of Admiral Sir John Lindsay, played by Matthew Good, and an enslaved African woman who's identified in real life as Maria Bell. Raised by her aristocratic great-uncle Lord Mansfield, played by Tom Wilkinson, and his wife, portrayed by Emily Watson, Bell's lineage affords her certain privileges, yet her status prevents her from receiving the benefits of noble social standing. While her cousin Elizabeth, played by Sarah Gayton, chases suitors for marriage, Bell is left on the sidelines wondering if she will ever find love. Bell meets John de Vinier, played by Sam Reed, a young idealistic vicar's son bent on changing society. In the film, John and Bell help shape Lord Mansfield's role as Lord Chief Justice to end slavery in England. Here, in her own words, is why the film Bell is special to podcast listener Joanne Fort. Uh, it did leave an impression, like all historical fiction, the first thing I do after I see um, a movie like that is to find out how much of it is fiction and how much of it is historical. And I did that with Bell after I saw it. When you learn that uh, Bell was real, uh, that the family situation was real, that this was a white father who takes his four-year-old daughter um, from her, the enslaved mother, uh, who had died back to England, who convinces his uncle to take her, uh, great uncle to take her, uh, that he raises that uh, Lord, the chief, the, the uncle was the Lord Chief Justice, uh, and that he raises her along with his other great niece uh, in the home uh, was itself uh, impressive 
uh, when you learn that that's true. You do, I did a little bit more research and you realize that uh, not only that, they, she inherited money from uh, the family, both her white father and from him later, um, and went on to be uh, a mother herself and to raise um, two, three boys successfully. It was also impressive. And then the, uh, the insurance claim case that the Lord Chief Justice was uh, litigating uh, at the same time in the movie uh, was made an impression just on the facts uh, of the case itself. So I guess when you put all of those things together, it's a memorable story. It's some history that most people don't know, you know which is when I think movies you know, are particularly great. And even though some of it uh, was not accurate, the, the events that are in the movie didn't all happen at the same time. She doesn't go on to meet and marry a lawyer. Um, her husband was a, a valet a, a, or a manservant who she eventually marries and she marries late. You know, just the fact that uh, she had the successful life she did under the conditions that she had it was what made the real impression. Our guest for this conversation is Glory Sam Jolly. Glory Sam Jolly is a figurative painter based in London and founder of Black Aristocrat Art Platform. Painting is the bridge that transforms her thoughts into visuality. Art history is a critical subject for Glory because not long ago, she realized that ethnic minorities in Britain find themselves out of place in the spaces of historical European art. Welcome, Glory, to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. Welcome. Thank you for having me. You describe yourself as a figurative artist with Afro-Caribbean roots, and you are a British citizen. You use painting to challenge misrepresentation of ethnic minorities, particularly in European portraiture. You also investigate the backgrounds of your models, which is a interesting way of inserting these persons into the narrative of European history. So tell us what makes the film Belle special to you. Um, Belle was a film I first saw when I was uh, back in school. I think either sixth form or just coming out of um, the end of school. And I, I think I, what I liked about it is how unique it was compared to most of the historical dramas I saw. Um, not just because Belle was uh, African herself, but like her story, how she got into the position she was, and the fact that it was very rare to have um, black aristocrats, um, you know, roaming around the streets of London in that time. And the story of, you know, how her identity, how she felt growing up there, the kind of things that she had to experience uh, is, um, yeah, you know, I love period dramas in itself, but then finding someone, you know, who is an actual African-European existing there was um, a nice addition to the, um, uh, you know, my love for art history anyway. So, um yeah, I, I just, I really, I enjoyed the film, I guess. Um, then it was from uh, that film, Belle, that I started to discover very slowly, like more films of 
unique African Europeans in history because she, although she is uh, described as the first black aristocrat, um, that is a very misleading statement. And, and secondly, it's just not true because there were many wealthy Africans living in Europe and they came years in centuries before um, to trade with European, you know, Europe, um, African merchants came to Europe, not on slave ships or however people perceive they came. They just came to Europe to trade with other merchants. You know, wealthy Africans existed for centuries and centuries. You can even go back to um, the book uh, Black Tudors. You can look at other references that will give you these facts. So um, I guess she was the most notable uh, notable. Um, African-European living in her time. And um, just out, out of curiosity, you said you saw the film when you were just coming out of school. How old were you then? I think I was 16 or 17. I can't even remember. But yeah, somewhere around that, that's when I first saw the film. And the history that you just shared with us about Black people in Europe and the black presence. Why is this important in the visual arts and films and dramatic series? Their um, stories. Yes. Um, so for me, it's important to see these historical portraits, see that they existed, because when I come across, you know, many people that I know that, you know, maybe they have like a a kind of separation between, um, you know, art history, European culture, because they feel like it was not made for them or they're not part of the history. And I want to make, you know, Black people, African Europeans, make them know that they are part of, you know, the history. There have been African Europeans for centuries. For some reason, um, their, their portraits are not made known. They're very rare to discover. And it's understandable considering there's such a small population of Africans living in Europe, trading in Europe. Um, but at the same time, it just, when, when I see people, you know, like me, like artists or just you know, normal people going about their day and having a, a very, a great disconnect between art history, between, you know, when they go to the Tate Modern, Tate Britain, um, Tyson Bourne and Misa, or these famous national galleries, and, and they just feel like a great disconnect is because they don't feel that that they're part of that history. And that is the importance of the page back aristocrat art because there were two, you know, these paintings are too um, dispersed and separated. I wanted to find a way to put them all together to make people see that all these people, these hundreds of thousands of portraits existed um, as well as, you know, white Europeans, you can say Europeans from different countries. Um, and it it's, I've had so much feedback. I've heard people say, I'm so happy I found this account. It's completely changed my mind. It's changed my whole perspective. And I feel like I'm actually, you know, making an impact and doing something with that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful platform, and I just really enjoy all of the various works of art that you post and that you discover, um, and they spark curiosity for me about these people as well in this history, so it's it's great. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, so you actually did have seen the portrait of Elizabeth Dido Bell in its 
setting, right? Um, I didn't actually see the portrait until okay. my first year of uni. So I actually, when I first watched the film, the portrait that was in the film, I thought that was the original portrait. And uh-huh. then about two, three years later, I saw the actual portrait, which still wasn't the original. It was a copy of the real portrait, which is in Scone Palace in Scotland. I saw the portrait at the Kentwood House in London, where she where she lived and she was raised. When we went on our school trip um, in art school, we went to the Kentwood House and we saw, uh, you know, this bedazzling art print um, framed in ornate gold, which is a, just a replica of the actual painting. And for me, even though it wasn't the real painting, it was good enough to see and to acknowledge that they had uh, put her there because that is where she was born and raised. That is Dido's history. And for me, seeing that, I was really happy because I never thought I would come across uh, the the painting or even the print one day. And so I was happy. Yeah, I definitely documented that day. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I like about um, talking to artists and art historians is they help me see things in paintings and works of art that I, I miss as just a layperson. So yeah. As you think about that portrait of Dido and her cousin, could you tell our listeners what the painting is communicating about these two young women, their relationship and their social status and what makes it unique? Yeah, so they are painted as equals, they're cousins, they're equal eye level. Um, Dido is is a bit more exotic in the way she's portrayed. She has a head turban and she has a bowl of fruit. And she does like a points to her cheek, like in a a kind of way that has been implied to be some kind of secret um, gesture that she had with her father. Many have interpreted it in different ways, but um, it's, it's it's a mysterious painting. And that's what I love about it. There's always new mysteries to it. Um, and it was rare for me to see black women in historical portraits just depicted as you know an ordinary day-to-day woman uh, you know with another white woman um just living just existing not as a an auxiliary character in the background but actually having her own autonomy in the painting and um that had to be one of my earliest exposures to Africans in Europe. I say it, it was from, again, it was from Bell. That's when I started going down the, you know, the open door of finding so many different African Europeans from, from Russia, you know, the black Russian general, um, uh, the black print, the Florentine prince um, of Italy, Alessandro di Medici. Um, now there's a big, there's a movie coming up, I'm out about Joseph um, Belage. He was a he was a knight in in France. He he was in the first Black Regiment of France. There's a movie coming about about him. Yes, uh, Chevalier. So much. Yes, yes. And there's so much being done um, just by people slowly figuring out that these figures existed. And um, even the woman king had uh, King Dahomey and had um, this history that we didn't know much about in uh, the Dahomey kingdom. And even from this kingdom, that's where Sarah Falls Bonetta came. Um, we all know the, the princess who is... So there's so much coming out from just, you know, just that one picture of Belle. 
and um i was happy i was happy that i sold mimi um but yeah this uh there's a lot of things that i said just from that one painting yeah one of the things that when we that that we see especially in the united states if we see a painting like that where there is a white woman and a black woman or a white person and a black person from the past there's the assumption by default that the black person in the painting is the servant and i saw that painting before knowing the story of dido bell and assumed oh that's her servant but then i'm like but why is she why does she have her finger to her chin like that and why is she looking directly out um, from the painting and there was just like you said this mystery to it so I I assume that there was something more to this story than what we've been taught I would say what we've been taught yeah I think Americans are right to assume because um, the name actually was not called the portrait of Dida Bell and Elizabeth Murray I think it was I think it was earlier on called Elizabeth Murray and her servant or um, names of paintings keep changing. So like mm. there's a painting that was called Portrait of the Negro by, um, by, by um, ben, ben, I can't say her name, by a French artist. And she painted this woman, you know, draped in a, a, very, a very starkly contrast white robe uh, with one breast out. And she has a turban. And then later on, they discovered the identity of that person. So the, the name of the portrait actually changed to Madeline. And they found out where she was from. Uh, there's also another painting in the 1900s of a young black girl. I think it was just called a girl holding a fan. And then they figured out her name too. So names of paintings changed. And then I feel that Americans are right to assume that because of because of how much um, how much information they are fed from from schools from books that you know when it comes to european paintings that they may have been a servant um they would like how would you know any better without knowing the stories of these african europeans Uh, like so and another thing about america is that sometimes i feel that um you live in a great bubble like when it comes to us we look to you and and you see the world uh, the way um the way you've grown up around the world you think it's the same in the rest of the world but it's not and so that um it, it's just it's hard to to um sometimes understand the way americans see the world because of because of the way they've grown up in the world but sometimes like just like you just like this podcast we can reason and we can see um, you know, because in our schools, we we had a we had a similar kind of thing. We never we never were taught much about these paintings. We didn't have much information. We we just assume that if you were African here and you were in living in Britain, living in France, you were just uh, a slave in servitude. You were just a servant. When you know, much of the time. That, that that can be the case, but in many times that's also not the case. And it's thanks to actual resources that we have now that we can look at the facts and we can look at these people's stories and actually go to the facts of the matter and see um, how amazingly, um, you know, Africans in Europe shaped the, the culture, shaped the history of Europe, of Britain, of France, of Russia, 
of Italy, Spain. And so many other places. And so yes. on and so on. <laughs> the rest on. of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Glory, we asked our listener, Joanne Fort, if she had a question for you about Bell. And here's what Joanne told us she was curious about. I want to know why she's wearing the turban, you know, in the, you know, in the painting. And she doesn't wear it in the movie. They, you know, made it, someone made a decision not to do that. So uh, that uh, was curious to me. And you see that, um, one of the reasons why the portrait is unusual, according to the written, um, some of the written materials, is because they are on the same eye level. They're not, they're not positioned the same, you know, she's not seated, she's not dressed the way that her, um, her cousin is dressed. Um, but the fact that they are on eye level was significant. And I wanted to know why that was and did that continue? Do you continue to see that in art afterwards with um, Black folks of that same era? Or does this really stand out because it is very unusual and then you don't see it again for another 100 years or 50 years? Ooh, uh, yeah, so I have no idea why the, the filmmakers decided to make that decision. And I have no idea why she's painted it in a turban either. Because um, uh, as someone as her status, uh, she maybe she, she wore a turban or maybe she just, you know, walked around with her natural hair. I could have hardly known because I didn't exist in that time. And it's the artist's decision really uh, to paint um Dido in that way because all the information that that as much as we can get can can come from only the little resources that we have and that painting is quite an important resource so maybe from that painting we can deduct that she went around um maybe wearing a head turban but then for all her life if she was living in England where would she get that influence from even you know from not seeing her mother it's 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 a very strange one. It's strange. So um, another thing is it was quite common to exoticize black women in paintings if they were coming to Europe. Because as we know, in, in the early, you know, the early 17th, 18th century, even going further back, a lot of white people had just never seen Africans. So the, the first inkling is to, wow, how exotic, how unique, what skin shade is that? What tone is that? And, you know, so they find ways to include them in their paintings. Many schools, art schools in the 16th and 17th century exoticized um, Africans in Europe to be sort of oriental um, having the head turban, having a lot of oriental jewelry and oriented things, just because they don't have really that much knowledge of Africa. They think um, they only they only know what they're fed and what they're fed was from the early travelers who, who went and they just painted, you know, oriental African figures. And so they go back and then they, they kind of, they, they make this big bubble of, okay, this is Africa. This is what it's supposed to look like. It has to be, you know, turbans here and this and that. And it um, the more information um, that we have now, it's the better um, it's helped to um, interpret and represent Africans living in Europe. So I think in her time, 
that may be a reason why she's wearing a head turban. But I really couldn't. Uh, I have no idea. I couldn't say. And when we talk about Oriental and Orientalism in European culture and history, it's it's also a term that refers that means exotic, in a sense. Oh yeah, yeah. Because um, I mean, if you were from like um, an or like an Oriental region, to them, exotic would be, uh, you know, a white person with you know straight hair. Our definitions of exotic are different because we're from different cultures. Um, so that term Oriental would be synonymous to exotic only in the Western world, only in Europe, but not actually in. Um, you know, some of these oriental <laughs> actual places. So um, that that's the that's the thing that that you know shaped part of uh, European culture. We do talk a lot about hair on this show, by the way. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you can see her hairline un- from under the turban, <laughs> and it is a fabric that's quite, um, I would say, um, exquisite. Yeah. Maybe a luxury type fabric. Yeah, it looks like a very expensive, a very beautiful luxury fabric that I have no idea where it could have come from. Maybe they they hired it for the portrait. Maybe it came for a donation from the slave mother. Like who knows um, where it could have come from, but. Um, it's interesting that she's painted this way because when we look at other um, paintings of black women in European portraiture, many of them um, just, you know, you would just see them in their, in their natural hair. And again, some of them, you would see them like portrait of the Negro, which is now called Madeline. You would see her in a head turban and you would see other you would see just a mixture of of different, um, you know, decisions. So some of them just in, like, hats, some of them not even in anything, just, just their hair out, and some of them in an exquisite head turban, all sorts of different styles that's going on. Um, but we see her here in a, in a head turban, and... Uh, I, I could never, it would have, we'd have to do a, a deeper in investigation into why the artist decided to paint her in that way. And, and, to, and you know, the decision with the finger, the, the, the space between her and Elizabeth, why um, Elizabeth push, is pushing her playfully or, you know, why they are behind this greenery. There's so much to investigate. And, and Tequina, you remember that lovely scene in the film it's a very tender scene where the the housekeeper, um, the housekeeper teaches her is, how to comb her hair. Yes, yes. Yeah, starting from the ends. Oh yeah. yeah, what's that? What's that about? Yeah, actually, it, it works. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> thing does. is, <laughs> she didn't grow up with her mother, and what the housekeeper says is, "My mother taught me." And you get the sense of what it's like to be this child in a world that doesn't really understand you, even in the simplest things of how do you comb your hair? Oh, right. Okay. So this must be like a, um, a scene from the movie. 
Yeah, from the yes. movie. I, have, I, the have movie. Se- I have not seen the movie in a long time, so anything you reference is like probably gone over my head. But yeah. that is, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, uh, to have that kind of connection. Um, everything else, you know, that comes from the film is their interpretation, and right. and they and they get a lot by looking at you know historical references, looking at what would have been you know happening at the time looking at the kentwood house um and it's it's interesting uh to see how how many things they they put in interpretation that we just may never know we may never really know but i think that's why it's important to have um to just you know try our best to interpret what life could have been like for dido at the time yeah that's why we also say that these films like mirror our own present because we're since we don't always have the data about the past we kind of bring our own interpretation based on since a lot of the past is present with us oh more than likely this could have been right yeah well that's a well we want to take a break at this time This is our break point to remind our listeners that you've been enjoying Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters, a podcast where we talk about historical drama series and films as windows to the past and mirrors of the present. Visit our webpage at michonnebostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters. Share this podcast. Join our historical drama community by signing up for our newsletter to stay up to date on future episodes and bonus content. Now, Tequina and I will go back to our conversation with artist Glory Samjali about the film Bell. Glory, you were about to finish a um, thought before our break. Um, I think I forgot that for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about interpretations, uh, what the film oh, yeah. had That's to right. like maybe uh insert as an uh, uh what was possible and one of the things you said too that i think is really important to recall is with these portraits it's also the artist who makes certain decisions so yes. since we also aren't necessarily in the artist mind um again we are bringing our own uh i guess uh interpretation of, yeah. of what something means based on our own times yeah the artists um they they have quite some control over you know the painting how one is represented um and it's up to them really to to because paintings were accepted rejected when it came to you know painting the queens especially when it came to painters of queen charlotte um many paintings were rejected uh like no no this is not me this is not and because we didn't have cameras at the time people wanted to be you know represented to the the closest um of what they of what they felt you know they were what they looked like and um even if it it wasn't exactly accurate you know it's kind of like what we have now the instagram filter just having a way to to make yourself look slightly you know more touched up basically than uh, your natural blemishes and then you know natural um, life and uh, another thing is we know that 
18th century, 19th century women wore corsets. We had so many of this, you know, transforming our, our shapes to, you know, to, to fit what was pleasing to the eye. And um, I guess it was one of those things, but um, the artist really had the um, the control to, to kind of represent the, uh, the sitter or, you know, the figure in a way that they chose to. And uh, I think many of the times if we compare different portraits, I mean, that's the one, one reason I wish there was another portrait of Dido, which I could look at. And there are kind of miscellaneous portraits of young black girls in, you know, bracelets, but they, they always say portrait of a young woman or portrait of a young girl. And we actually don't know if maybe these portraits were of Dido Bell when she was a child but they're just there and it's like there's so much to unpack and discover like why don't they have names why don't we know who they are it's just it's just adding to the mystery you know so i i would love to find out you know why the the artist chooses to um to keep these figures unnamed even though some of them may have been really important people like there's this portrait like one thing i like there's a lot of portraits about the black Florentine prince and Alessandro de Medici and there's a portrait of him when he's young but it's actually it's not named um, portrait Alessandro de Medici um, even though he is um, of that status it's actually I think it's just named portrait of a young boy and um, again like was that the the choice of the artist to to name a portrait of a young boy even though he he was born into the Medici family um, and then again it, could it be the same thing that's happening with these other portraits of these of these young black women who are very important people, but they're just they're named to be you know specifically a character, um, just like the, there's a portrait of if you know the the black Russian general um, um, Abraham Petrovich Ganabal he had a daughter um, Sofia Ganabal and there are two portraits of her and neither of these portraits one she's dressed in an elegant dress. Um, Borgan, another one, she's dressed in a man's clothing, and neither of these portraits actually um, name her as the the daughter of a black Russian general. I just figured out this information recently from another um, historian who I was liaising, and I was like, how would have anyone figured this out? They've made it really hard for us, and I have to kind of be like an art detective uh, whenever I'm going, you know, discovering these portraits, uh, looking and 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 browsing, you know, um, surfing, browsing the internet for for these these you know these hidden portraits that no one ever would, would have picked up. And once I find them, I'm so happy because like I, I feel like I'm the first, and then everyone will like jump on and do reposts and everything. But you have to be like a, a kind of detective when it comes to finding out this information because it's so hard. I use reverse image search, you know, a lot because I would just have a picture. I will find a picture on social media or somewhere, have no information about it at all. And it's like, how am I going to find that? So I have to do like reverse image search to see exactly what I can find about. Kind of like just be a detective, find how much information can I find about this portrait on Google to see what it can give me. And um, they've made it hard. It's, it's really hard when it comes to finding out information about historical portraits. I guess that's why the reason why no one wanted to kind of begin this endeavor in featuring um black historical portraits because because of the information is very difficult to find and a lot of the time we just get the inkling to make up the information about the portrait 
and then later on be called out for it and, and then the facts come out later on. It's just, I see it all the time. Yeah. But um yeah. Yeah, I can see why you want to document the stories of the people you paint. So that doesn't happen again. Right. Oh, that <laughs> it can hardly happen. We live in an age of information. So anything I do or anyone I paint, the information is always going to be there about them because we have now we have digital archives. We never had that, you know, in just in the 19th century, 18th century alone. We have digital archives, things that are going to exist in the ether for, for a very long time. And who knows, you know, what 2040 looks like what 2060 what 100 years looks like maybe digital files will get corrupted like paper and we'll start afresh with a new kind of maybe hologram archives or something but for for now we have to do with you know the past centuries way of archiving which was on paper books um you know historical archive venues uh, libraries and um what the the generation i live in now we have the internet there's so much information but there's such a lack of finding the right information people right. are exposed to information but it's hard to find the right information this information overload without um niching down into the correct information which yeah. we're sometimes looking for well in our next question we're going to talk about the information that's shared in schools and this comes from our conversation mm-hmm. with Joanne Fort, who mentioned that another takeaway from Bell for her was the story of the Zong case, which involved enslaved Africans who were deliberately drowned in order to collect insurance money. The Zong has been cited as a legal case that gave momentum to the British anti-slavery movement. In the United States, where we are, there's a debate about how to teach the history of slavery, including the transatlantic slave trade in public schools. How was the history of slavery and abolition taught to you as a British student? Ah, so the transatlantic slave trade, um, I think it was vaguely taught because I could remember maybe in my, um, um, like, in 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 England, London, okay, we call it like year eleven, year twelve, year thirteen, year seventeen. So so how you call it in America, I'm not sure it might be similar, but it would be around um year nine or year eight where we would sort of um go to our class, our history class and watch creative documentaries. One of them is called Roots. Um the classes I were in didn't really pay much attention to sometimes the films. Um, and we would learn it from historical books and just, you know, be taught this history was a subject where you could um, pursue further on um, as a subject if you wanted to study it further. But in our in our very first elementary years, we, we had to do two years mandatory of history. And what we got from that was, you know, we, we got the gold rush, um we got um a lot of world war one and world war two we didn't go as far back as the transatlantic slave trade and if we did it was just through like documentaries and series um it wasn't um fully explained until after um you know once i stepped into uni i decided to do more research more gain more information about the transatlantic slave trade my dissertation was literally called the rape of africa 
So there's a lot of uh, hints uh, there. Um, oh. I started, I just wanted, I had so many questions and I wanted to know why um, Africa was colonized in the way it was. I wanted to know why did this happen to Africa? Did this, you know, happen anywhere else? Um, I wrote about the Hottentot Venus and just basically the kind of um, atrocities that came out of that. Um, but at the end of the day, it is, I don't think we were really, um, in my history classes, we were exposed to that much information because there was literally no, hardly um, anything taught about um, black aristocrats in our, our classes, in our history classes. It was more so um, just, you know, again, World War One, World War II, uh, the uh, British love teaching about the war, the post-war, um, Warsaw, um, the kind of um, historical dramas you see, like the, the boy in striped pajamas, um, uh, Poland and, and the Holocaust. Um, not so much about the transatlantic slavery. Maybe, maybe like hints here and there, but, but we weren't exposed to that much. I, I went to do that research um, in further studies and found a lot, a lot, a lot of information. Well, in the States, we also have months devoted to particular ethnic racial groups' histories. So February is Black or African American yeah, History February, Month. Yeah, and in, and in October, uh, we have Black History Month here in the UK as well. Okay, so I wondered yeah. if, you, if British, if uh, in the UK, yeah, they have we, we months copied devoted. You. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, just, we just copied America. Like a lot of things that, um, that happens in Britain is just like a replica of what happens in America. The only thing we don't have, which I am kind of fascinated um, by America is by um, is galleries like the Smithsonian Gallery, um, Du Sable, and actual galleries dedicated to, um, you know, black archives. Uh, we don't have that uh, here in the UK. And this is why I one of my desires is to kind of create that physical space. We have um, Black Cultural Archives, um, which was founded by um, Lisa Anderson, uh, someone oh, I know. Oh, yes. Who's, yes, yes. Um, she, she, yes. So... We have uh, Black Cultural Archives, but I really wanted to kind of create a historic, a place that delves into historical portraiture, um, kind of in the European realm. Um, I want to, I want people to see existing portraits of African Europeans, not just made up portraits and contemporary mm -hmm. art. I want them to see the historical art as well. So that's kind of a challenge that I'm, I'm facing. I really want to make that into a physical space one day. I want to get all these, you know, get all these portraits out there. At least if I could just have one wall, just one wall uh, and just like maybe just like 10 portraits, like that would be enough to start with. But I, I really, I, I really want to do this and I want people, I want it to be a tourist attraction for people to come and see this, just like they have the Smithsonian, just like they have um, the Sable, like they have these amazing galleries in America. And that's one thing we have that's yet to be pioneered in Britain. So that would be worth a pilgrimage to, yeah. <laughs> to see that gallery for sure. Well, which of your portraits or a favorite portrait you've created would be on that wall? And who is the person behind it? Uh, I think mm, I think my latest portrait, um, which I called Allegories of Africa, uh, where I painted three young women um, in um, in African wax print, in African pattern drapes that kind of um, 
reflect the Roman style drapes, you know. Um, I, yeah, I would put that because that that was a that that was my biggest um, challenge to paint, and um, it's a, a 160 centimeters by two meters, so it's the biggest painting I've ever done. It's the most intricate because of the, the African patterns and. Um, I just had so much fun with it, you know, documenting it, um, filming it, um, pretending that we were back in this time. Uh, it's actually just a, it's a portrait of my sister and her and her friends. I use them as models, but um, I I would have I would frame that in gold. I'm I'm actually in partnership with a with a picture framer called the Cavachan Picture Framer, and they and they do lovely ornate frames. I'm so happy to be in partnership with them because when everyone anyone requests a gold a gold frame like a lovely ornate frame, they can get it made and done, and they can actually do it. And so, uh, um, I, it's just a perfect collaboration, really. And I would I would do that. I would get that painting up there because that's quite the size of it already is dramatic. I've noticed people. People are stunned by size nowadays. It's all about how big the painting is, how size. And even though I do like, I actually like miniature paintings. I like small paintings. Um, it's not dramatic enough to capture a large audience of, you know, people who come to a place and, and want to be captivated immediately. So it would be that one. Um, yeah. What medium? What paints do you use? Oil? Are you oil? Yes, uh, I use oil. I tried to avoid acrylics, um, but my recent commission, where we painted uh, a globe, a uh, hundred artists were commissioned by the World Reimagined to paint these big globes. Maybe you've heard about it, maybe not. Um, in the UK, which are um, it's about the history of the transatlantic slave trade and different themes um, of the African diaspora within that. So my theme was still I write. So I I, I actually painted um, a lot of um, uh, historical. Uh, I used a lot of historical paintings as references. So, um, in Rubens, there's like this black woman who who's meant to be like a, a goddess in the in the painting. And then there's Eureka, who was a young black aristocrat French girl who died at the age of sixteen, unfortunately. But there's this painting which I love um, about um, I love. It's a in, in private collection. Um, I also painted Septimius Severus, a bust of him, um, who was the African Roman emperor. And I, I decided to paint all the figures that didn't have such a, like a, um, like a whirlwind of, of activism and, and or, or slavery or servitude, but they, they just had their own autonomy and existed as um, um, kind of bold and empowering figures. So that was my globe. It's a big round globe. It's, it's, it's quite big. Um, we, I had to paint that in acrylic and I was not happy but that was the only option we had and I hadn't painted in acrylic in years so if you see that globe uh, just know that I tried my best um, I like to stick to oil paintings oil because it's I like working back into the painting it doesn't dry too fast and it leaves a nicer finish you know just just as the way the old masters painted acrylic was a, was a medium um, that was developed in the 19th century and Oils have existed far before that. Um, egg and te egg tempura is another um, medium. I think that that was um, very like medieval kind of um, a medium. But many oil is the popular one, and so I like to continue that tradition of oil painting because I think it is slowly dying with, you know, with digital and um, photography, digital art, and and technology that's taken over. And I mean, part of me does like 
the, the, the movement into the digital art realm, into technology, because I, I do like NFTs, I like things like that, but I don't want it to to take over, you know, the tradition of oil painting, because that's something that would be lost otherwise. Yeah. There is something about even the um, sensual quality of oil and even being able to have the actual fragrance of the paint. Yes, I love, that's another thing. I, I love the um, smell. Yeah, I do too. I love, I love the linseed. I love yeah. the, the turpentine. I actually, I'm, it's bad, but I'm kind of addicted to turpentine. I'll just sometimes when I when I used to paint in my studio, I just used to pick up the bottle and just like smell like just sniff it sometimes. Like it was <laughs> good. But I and, and or I would get like the tip of the brush and just sniff it. Like if I was bored and I was like halfway through my painting and I just wanted to break, you know. But we have to have ventilation. It's important to have ventilation when painting with that medium because you don't want to end up um, suffocating from the fumes. Um, it's nice to have that. Some people hate oil paints because of that. They don't like the, the smell of turpentine. They don't like the linseed. They don't like anything, but I love it. I love it. So <laughs> I <laughs> that's, I continue to stick to that medium. Um, it's my favorite, you know. As, as, when I was exposed to it, the first time I started painting with oils, like once you go oil paints, you never go back. You know, you just don't go back to whatever you were doing before. Well, Glory, um, certainly your work in social media, art history is having an impact in shifting people's understanding of the presence of Africans in Europe. Um, your own artwork, what are you hoping the impact of your paint, your paintings will be? Um, I hope that they can highlight the existing African Europeans that existed and I, I hope that people will not just see um, beautiful portraits of you know some of the people I painted who are business women who are other artists but they but they will actually take time to look back into um, you know look at the page I made black aristocrat art look do some research into the historic of um, the history of Africans in Europe and notice that they were not just victims of um, the, the transatlantic slave trade, um, something that began 400 years ago. I wish people would go further than 400 years and actually notice that African aristocrats have been existing around Europe for a long time. And then they would have, you know, the sense of um, a bit of empowerment to to know that their, their ancestors and their history was not just slavery and it's not just victimhood and you know activism and it's it's much more than that and so that's what i i try that's the the real purpose of my paintings because for a long time you know it's a psychology of of seeing history when all you see is yourself as as a servant in european history and all you see is um paintings and lovely art of african slaves it doesn't really kind it makes you nihilistic about the world doesn't really uplift you in a way that oh I know that my ancestors were were slaves were so I I want there to be more than just the 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 slavery part which seems to be a majority of what we're taught in school and not enough of you know dido bells around not enough of these um um aristocrats not enough of them um to kind of change our negative psychology that we have around looking around black history so 
I really want this to be a big pointer in Black history. When people come to Black history, I want them to look at this, look at this page, look at all these figures. Um, you can have the, you know, the transatlantic history um, coexist with looking at this history, not just to completely um, to overshadow that the, you know, the past of slavery that happened, but we, we can't just tell one narrative and not tell the, the other, you know? So that's kind of my goal. Wonderful. So tell our listeners how they can find you and your artwork. So I recommend everyone just go to the page Black Aristocrat Art. It's it's very simple. It has a nice ring to it. Black Aristocrat Art. um, Black Aristocrat Art. Uh, On Instagram, TikTok, blackaristocratart.com. If you're still stuck, just go to Google and search Black Aristocrat Art. It will come up with all of the social media platforms, even Pinterest and YouTube. Um, but just go to the Instagram if you have it now. This is the quickest and easiest. Um, and you will find my my page connected to the Black Aristocrat Art page. So um, I'm just called Glory Some Jolly Art. It will be on the page there. So just to make it easy. All right, Black Aristocrat Art. You know where <laughs> to find Glory Sam Jolly. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Before you go. Okay. (laughs) We're now at the point of our conversation, which we call our lightning round, where we ask our podcast guests questions that reflect the themes of historical drama with the Boston sisters. With the twist, we incorporate our guests' interests and experiences into the questions. So are you ready? I don't know, but let's see how this goes. So here we go. If you could travel back in time, where would you visit and why? Uh, <laughs> I would go back to I mm-hmm. that is a loaded question, but that's I would go back to the 18th century and I would probably go to the Louvre to France because I, I like the fashion and I like the bourgeoisie fashion and I like France. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is our time capsule question. What three items would you put into a time capsule that represent the times that you've lived through? Um, these are very loaded questions. Does everyone ever like talk about them? <laughs> Yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, hmm. Okay. I think I would put my. I don't know. My headphones. I love listening to music, so I'll put my my headphones in it. And I have a, like, a very long history of my headphones, and they've lasted me for for years than um, a typical headphones would. Um, and they're they're a little bit broken on the edge, but you know I just like that they they still work and and a, a lot of um, memories with them. Uh, a second thing I would put um, maybe a maybe a uh, uh, paintbrush, 
a Roland Dali paintbrush. <laughs> so everyone who's a student actually recognizes and remembers these are the kind of paintbrushes artists would buy from, you know. Uh, um, and the third thing I would put. Um, this is very hard. Um, maybe I would put my. Maybe I would put my. I don't know, guys. I can't even think of of three things. It's so hard. I'm Something. surprised the linseed oil. Didn't yeah, linseed oil. A painting. I, I would have wanted to. <laughs> or a miniature. I don't think I would put my paintings because, like, I I want people to to know, like, you know, that the painting is the final product. Like the process, yeah. the things that were part of the process was the event. You had to listen to music while you're painting. You had to look at, you know, your paint your paintbrush tilt left every time it was maybe turpentine. Maybe that yeah. would be the, the last yeah. thing. Yeah, a bottle of turpentine. <laughs> so people know I was addicted to, to it and I loved it very much. It's your do. time cap, so you can put in it whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. If I had more time I'd probably think of it thoroughly, but that that would be my third option. <laughs> yeah something to journal about right oh yeah definitely <laughs> amasante's feature film bell is available for streaming do an online search to find where the film is available be advised that fees may apply we invite you to share this episode of historical drama with the boston sisters with someone you know who would enjoy this conversation Subscribe to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Visit our webpage at michonbostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters for more information and additional resources related to this conversation. Click on the webpage link to shop the Michonne Boston Group's affiliate bookstore on bookshop.org where you'll find titles related to our conversation and past episodes. Your book purchases support independent booksellers and a small commission supports the historical drama with the Boston Sisters podcast. Sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on future episodes and bonus content. You can write us at podcast at michonbostongroup.com. Like and share historical drama with the Boston Sisters on your social media. This is Michelle Boston. And this is Tequina Boston. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters, a podcast about historical films and series dramas. Visit our webpage at michonbostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters. Tell us what historical dramas you're watching. Who knows? We may do a show about it. Sign up for our newsletter, subscribe to the podcast, and share it with the people you know who binge on historical drama. Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters is brought to you by the Michonne Boston Group. The views and opinions expressed on historical drama with the Boston Sisters are those of the speakers and do not represent the positions 
or views of the Michonne Boston Group, its clients or affiliates. This is Michonne Boston. And this is Tequina Boston. Thank you for listening.